Just over a week ago, I hosted a webinar online. We called it Lawyer in the Hot Seat. And one of our sponsors, uh, Strata Lawyer David Bannerman, came along to answer your questions that had been sent in in advance on a Zoom webinar. The webinar lasted an hour. We've cut it into two parts that we are presenting this week and next. The sound quality isn't up to our usual standards because we recorded it on Zoom. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the Flat Chat column for the Australian Financial Review, and this is a special Flat Chat wrap. We've got a lot of questions to get through. David Bannerman is the fastest lawyer in the East, so uh, we'll probably get through quite a lot. I'm seeing lots of chat coming up, and I hope somebody else is looking at them because I am a bear of little brain, and I can uh, only do so much at one time. Are you ready, David? Thanks, Jimmy, for joining us. Jimmy, for those of you who don't know Jimmy, most of you should, but he's a well-known commentator in the strata space. He was recently in the AFR talking about Strata Hub, and is <laughs> often in the front line of lots of owner inquiries regarding Strata stuff, and so we thought it would be Good to see what sort of questions he's frequently encountering and seeing what we can do to help the Strata community get a better footing on their position. All right. Thank you for that, David. I'm going to kick off with a question that comes pretty much straight off the Flat Chat forum. And it is, if an external hose pipe on, say, a washing machine bursts and floods the unit downstairs, passing through common property... Who is responsible for the repairs? The upstairs owner or their insurance, if they have it, strata insurance or the downstairs owner's insurance, if they have it? It's a good question, and it happens a lot where there's a few rights that follow. One is the person who might have suffered the damage below could have an action in nuisance against the person above for allowing the water to escape from their property and cause the damage below. Now, it wouldn't normally be a failing in the common property because concrete is porous, so it is supposed to allow water through, so there's probably no problem with the common property in that circumstance. Um, as to insurance, though, uh, the strata insurance will typically cover burst pipes and claims can be processed through that. Alternatively, a claim could be processed through the lot owner's insurance in the event that it covered that sort of event, the payment of the excess and the increase in the premium that flows would normally result in the owner below not wanting to process the insurance and for that to be relied upon by either a claiming nuisance against the owner above or from the strata insurance. So you you refer to a claiming nuisance. That is like a civil action. Is that as simple as going, sending them a bill and saying, you owe me this amount for the, the damage done to my property, and if you don't give me the money, I'm taking you to court. Yeah, there's two forms of it. There's common law, so based on case law, and secondly, it's enshrined in Section 153 of the legislation, the Strata Schemes Management Act. So uh, nuisance isn't like a strict thing. It's uh, not automatic right in damages. It's established where there's been a 
someone was on notice that their pipe was leaking. They didn't take appropriate steps to fix it and it burst and then they are responsible from it from that point in time. Because I, I get very irritated emails from my readers saying that it's an accident and nobody can be held liable for an accident. And my view is, well, we're told constantly to check our hose pipes and stuff like that on washing machines. So where does the responsibility lie? Is it just tough luck? The, ins- the Australia insurance policy will cover the damage that flows, not the burst pipe in, in that eventuality. Yeah. Australia insurance typically won't cover degradation. So if the pipe's just eroded over time and then burst, yeah. then Australia insurance might not respond to that. Uh, because they'll generally have an exemption under the policy, but they've got to prove the exemption applies. And in relation to, um, there might be an instance where the owner isn't liable under nuisance for their burst pipe, that's correct. But if they're on notice and they didn't do anything about it, then they'll be liable. Okay. So it is a case of just claiming against insurance if you've got it. And if if you don't have it, then you can always try and, get the person upstairs to pay. But if they don't pay, there's not much you can do really, is it? Uh, no. Well, there's there's actions through the local court for the payment of damages, which is typically where you'd go for your common law right. Yeah. But if you wanted to get somebody to fix the pipe, you could go for a direct action in NCAT that, that under works to be undertaken. Okay. Moving on, there's another question related to that, which is, if as a result of a leaking pipe that services a number of units, one suffers contents damage and claims under one's contents policy because strata insurance doesn't cover it, is the body corporate, this is Queensland, liable to reimburse the owner for the excess that was payable under the policy? So basically, this is a common property water pipe burst cause damage to to lot property and the owner has obviously had an excess on their insurance and so they're out you know 200 or 500 bucks is the owner's corporation liable for that in new south wales you've got different laws to queensland so i'll just focus on new south wales but yes that could that's a reasonably foreseeable loss that there could be an insurance excess payable and they could seek to recover the excess from the owner's corporation and how are you in Queensland law in that regard? Because it is really different up there, isn't it? It is. I won't comment on Queensland law. <laughs> All right. Now, we've been getting a lot of mail about the design practitioners law. Now, this was brought in, If I and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, David Chandler uh, trying to tighten up the whole thing about dodgy builders and dodgy developers and all the rest of it, pushed through or promoted a law that went through that basically said significant work and buildings has to be signed off by a design practitioner. And now people are saying, well, I had a perfectly good builder or joiner or whatever, but now I've got to get this guy with a clipboard to come through and check everything. And there aren't just enough, there aren't enough of them to go around. So it's holding up work. Uh, so the question is, have any approaches been made to the minister or commissioner about the effect this new law is financially causing strata schemes uh, to start with contracting a design pr- practitioner to carry out the work is very difficult? Um, I inquired in November with Fair Trading. It started on the 1st of July, 
phone call in, in November about whether there was any movements to expand the exemptions because, you know, like, for instance, a balcony repair over 5,000, you need to get a proper design solution and you need to have a, a properly um, register, uh, that registered on the fair trading site and then you would need to have a registered practitioner. So we're just talking about class two or mixed class two buildings here. So we've got one apartment owner living on top of another one. So it's yep. not all strata, but it's just in that more high-rise type environment. Um, and the answer was no at that time because they've just implemented the change. Now, uh, SCA New South Wales have just been helping formulate a request for submissions on the experiences of complying with this legislation 12 months on. And so there will be a request from SCA New South Wales to expand the group of the exceptions that are allowed. So at the moment, it's pretty hard to avoid it. I mean, um, I think David Chandler was right in trying to zero in on uh, waterproofing work because it creates a, a lot of expense and there's a lot of solutions that are put forward and, and paid for which don't work. And so the idea was to have a proper engineered solution. In a lot of times, though, it's blown costs out. We had one matter with a $17,000 repair but it cost 25000 more for the design engineered solution. For wow. had to go in and do surveys of the area to measure it all. Then when they removed the materials, the survey again, then they had the design over the top to put it in format suitable for uploading on the fair trading website. So that can be a significant cost. But at the same time, we got instructions on a matter yesterday, which was a $313,000 contract. And the scope of works was basically a strata plan saying, replace the doors and the hob and replace the ceilings. That was the scope and it's turned into a complete disaster and a lot of it will need to be redone. So oh that's a good justification for having a good design. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, some of the requirements for the design and, the, and for the certain practitioner to do the work is probably a little bit too narrow for the remedial space. And so there'll be a request from SCA to broaden that space. But at the moment, um, it's nearly nearly 12 months on and there's been no changes made, but a submission is going to fair training. Right. So we can expect that to not happen in the next week or so. <laughs> oh, no. no. Well, look, whenever they make a new law, they let it run for a while before they yeah. call for submissions and see how it needs to be improved. I mean, yeah. to my knowledge, the uploading function at the fair trading site doesn't work for remedial works, despite the fact that there's a penalty if you don't upload it for a practitioner, a design practitioner or a building practitioner. So it's all new in the school for them and it's all yeah. new in the school for the remedial space as well. So there'll be certainly improvements made in the future, yeah. but when, I don't know. It occurs to me that very quietly a lot of the functions, strata functions of fair trading are being shuffled over to planning and services. Is that fair to say, or am I reading too much into this? From, from what I can see, um, like if you look at cladding, for instance, there's the fair trading side has a cladding task force. The planning side has their own task force internally, not yeah. labelled the task force, and the two don't necessarily talk. And there's different functions and repeat functions and different and different requests being made. So 
Yes, I think it's fair to say that there is sometimes a spread of the same duty across the various departments. But if you go looking for the fair trading website, we're getting political here and I'll move on in a second, but if you go looking for the fair, the Strata website, the Strata information website is now hosted on planning, is it not? I don't know about that. I haven't, I haven't um, looked at that detail. Yeah. I think you'll find it is. Anyway, I'm looking over at these messages on the right and thank you to everybody who said hello to me and Thank you to all the people who are saying, yes, I can hear you, because right before we started, I sent you a message saying, can you hear me? Um, but somebody's saying, and this is an easy one for you, David, who's liable for the cost of replacing waterproofing that's king? And this is in the shower area from Mary Leon. If it's a post-1 uh, July 1973 registered scheme, 99% of the time, it's going to be the owner's corporation. That can be changed if it was um, some subsequent renovations were made and there was a bylaw transferring obligation to the person who did the bathroom renovation or if the owner's corporation has adopted the common property memorandum, it may have moved to the lot owner. All right. Okay, so that's probably owner's corporation but possibly the lot owner, especially if there has a renovation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, another question. This is an easy one. Can the owner's corporation stop me from having pets in my apartment? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, certain pets, no. Assistance animals, no. So if you've got a disability and the animal's assisting you with a disability, it's an outright no. Owner's corporations can still have a bylaw to prohibit uh, animals. Um, the circumstances in which the lit litigation explained were perhaps in a very small scheme, perhaps in a scheme where the it's just short-term letting, and perhaps in a scheme where there was a no pets bylaw and everybody who's purchased has signed a piece of paper to say that they won't bring a pet. So there's some pretty narrow exceptions there where you can outright prohibit a pet, but otherwise it's going to be pretty much pet-friendly based on some new laws that they introduced last year in response to the Cooper case. Yeah. So if if everybody unanimously in a building says this is a no-pet building and obviously they're not going to bring pets in, what happens when one of them sells and somebody who wants a pet comes into that building? Well, if they didn't sign the piece of paper to say that they won't bring one in, as, say, for instance, a condition of sale, yeah. then they'll be able to rely on the new provision to say that they can't reasonably withhold the keeping of a pet. And what's the what would be the definition of reasonable? Because some people would say that if everybody in the building has unanimously said we don't want animals, is it unreasonable to then refuse? You'll need to weigh up. When they use um, the word reasonable, it requires consideration of the structure of the building, the access points, um, and the type of animal that you're looking at bringing in. So it's a, it's a weighing up of all those factors to work out whether it's reasonable to say no to that pet. Yeah. So, for instance, someone wants to bring in a horse into the courtyard, right? Yeah. People are concerned about the odour from all the horse manure or something like that. Yeah. And that's an example of an unreasonable request and for which the owners' corporation could look at saying no towards. Just for our our listeners and readers and viewers sake, there has been a case of a strata scheme where a horse was brought into a townhouse courtyard and was kept there 
and the owner of the horse uh, basically made up for the nasty smells by giving his neighbors tips <laughs> in the harness racing. Um, apparently, that's a, that's a story I, I heard about 15 years ago, and I'm still telling it now because it's such a good one. Oh. Lachlan Malik has said, strata information has not moved to planning. The responsibility is still within fair trading, within the Department of Customer Service. The only change is, is cosmetic only. Thank you, Lachlan. Right. Next question. What are the required steps to be taken in order to remove a barking dog from a building? Okay. Uh, they, with the new laws, they made it a little bit clearer about what circumstances would enable you to get rid of uh, an annoying animal. And repetitive interference of noise is one of them. Uh, interestingly, um, one of some things that didn't make it into the list, which were omitted, allergies that someone might suffer as a result of the pet and defecation on common property. So those mm -hmm. two things aren't in there. So I think you would struggle to get a pet removed trying to solely rely on those elements. But other right. elements... But the barking dog or the uh, maybe a dog that's a bit scary sort of growls at people with, in the lift or whatever? Or if, yeah, or if it's attacked people, a single attack would be enough. Right. Okay. Moving on to NCAT and strata disputes. How hard is it to get NCAT to effectively sack the management of owner's corporation because it is not functioning properly? Now, I've put a note on this to us. I'm not sure what they mean by management. Do they mean okay. the strata manager? Do they mean the committee? Or or, or do they mean the building manager? So you've, there's a whole range of area that you can get into there, David. Yes. So typically what happens is an owner in a minority position when it comes to getting any votes over the line um, realises that the democratic system's not working for them. And if they can establish that the scheme's not functioning properly, so it's what's called dysfunctional, so they're not complying with their statutory obligations, for instance, to repair and maintain the common property. They've had a problem there for years and the owners' corporation's not solving it. Um, they can apply if they can establish that the scheme is not functioning to effectively appoint an administrator. It could be a strata manager. It could be the incumbent manager or it could be a new strata manager. It depends on whatever the application uh, puts forward because the manager has to consent to the appointment. And when they put that forward, the tribunal can make an order. And effectively what would happen is it would terminate the strata management contract that was in right. place and it would terminate the functions of the committee and that newly appointed manager under the order makes all of the decisions without seeking the vote of anybody in the building. And that period of appointment can be 12 months up to 24 months. And so that's, uh, a, that's an application that is before the tribunal every other day. And um, it's a very common application. But that's the nuclear option, isn't it? To basically say things are so bad here that we want to get we're prepared to give up our democratic rights for a couple of years and let a professional come in and sort it and that that comes with a, a whole raft of problems in its own in some cases but what about a case where you can say look the manager and the committee are in cahoots with each other and the stuff isn't getting done can we just sack the manager and and get another manager in or, or at least be able to choose another manager well, a lot owner 
doesn't really have the standing to because they're not a party to the contract to seek to terminate the contract. It would be more a matter for the owners' corporation to take part in an action against the strata manager to terminate the contract. So that's a problem for that minority. But the that minority could also, in the alternative, seek a specific order for performing a particular function or duty of the owners' corporation if they don't think they can get up on the whole dysfunction argument. Right. That idea that, let's say, the owners' corporation, like the, the strata committee, have signed a deal with a strata manager and for whatever reason they're really unhappy with the, the manager's performance. But well, the, the strata committee can't sign a contract with the manager. It's got to be approved at a general meeting and that's where all owners get a, a chance to vote upon it. Okay, well, let's again assume that the owners' corporation has decided they've made a bad choice, uh, but you and I both know that the current standard strata management contract favours the strata manager quite strongly, well, can, can they go to NCAT and say, can you rescind this contract? Yeah, look, uh, the, the, the termination provisions in the SCA agreement are actually balanced towards the consumer more so on the termination front. Um, and so it's hard for a strata manager to terminate a contract and they can be stuck in a contract and not be able to get out of it. For instance, there might be a situation of bullying from an owner and they want to get out of it because their staff are being worn down and resigning as a result of it. Right. They can't get out of it on that basis. But there are provisions which provide that the contract can be terminated where a breach notice is provided and it's not complied with, just like right. there would be in any other form of contract. I haven't seen a case where an owner's corporation did terminate a strata manager for non-performance. I can't say that it's a common application in NCAP. Right. It does what it. Is, what, it what, is the, what is common is that Section 237 application, which effectively operates to terminate that contract. Right. But that, that, that's the statutory appointment of, yeah. a, of yeah. a strata manager who takes yeah. over. Usually, I mean, it's initially for a year, but it's usually for two, isn't it, effectively? Well, yeah, look, depending on the problems in the building, but it can take two years. I mean, I've, I've, there's some buildings who are on their six compulsory appointment because they're just so dysfunctional. Wow. Because they, they know, the strata manager knows as soon as they give up, then it's the chaos will resume. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, by the way, we've got a message over there. Uh, we have had a dog that attacked someone, and when the owner was taken to NCAT, they handed down orders to have the dog removed, but when the orders were not followed by the owner, we were told uh, that under the new act, NCAT were unable to enforce the order. Uh, that was an old hole in the legislation which was plugged last year in April. So if you still hold the order, uh, you can still seek to enforce it by way of a penalty application uh, with a penalty of up to 5500 uh, Under the uh, Before that time, you needed to get consent from the Attorney General to run the penalty <laughs> application. Yeah, but they fixed that hole. Yeah. All right. Okay, good. Good to know. Then we're moving on to electric vehicle charging. If I'm a tenant, how do I get an EV charging system installed in my strata building? Um, if you're a tenant, you have less rights than an owner to request works in the building. Um, but if you've got a good relationship with the landlord, you can have the request passed through the landlord to uh, the owner's corporation 
via a bylaw request for doing works to common property. Uh, in that bylaw, you would be specifying the scope of works and who's going to be repairing and maintaining the scope of works, who's going to have access to it, and um, it would be voted upon by the general meeting. It's got a special voting right, so it will carry on this more than 50% vote against it. Right. The, the, the environmental resolution, unlike yeah, other special resolutions, does not need the 75% vote. That's right. That's right. But if you're, if you're not in a good relationship with the landlord where he wants to put that forward for you, you, as an occupant, can apply to the Annis Corporation for a licence agreement on effectively the same terms as what would have been contained in the bylaw. And the Annis Corporation would then vote upon that. It's like a contract between the Annis Corporation and the owner regarding that installation. And you cover off all those same bases. And that licence agreement would also attract the same voting threshold. I have to say that there was a, a webinar last week um, that was basically the department. I didn't know we had a a department of energy and climate change, but we do. And uh, and they organise a thing with uh, OCN and some other uh, interested bodies. They had a, a webinar uh, about how to get um, electric vehicle charging in your building. And one of the things that came out of this was that Increasingly, people who are trying to sell and rent apartments, uh, prospective buyers and tenants are coming in and saying, do you have EV charging and do you have any plans to get it? And when the response is no, they go, oh, okay, I'll look somewhere else then. And I also have to say that of all the topics that have come up recently, almost in the same uh, level as pets, people are really interested in EV charging. So even though there's only 21,000 electric vehicles in the whole of Australia, people are thinking about it already and they want to see, well, where are we going to go? And the other thing to come out of this webinar, and there's a link on the FlatChat website, flatchat.com.au, um, that the webinar uh, revealed that you don't have to do everything. You don't have to put in a fully comprehensive system. You can actually start with two or three sockets in, in in the parking area that have got a meter on them so it it's there's a lot of myths about it but i recommend anybody who's interested to have a look at that so there here ends my advertisement for my own website um <clears throat> who should be paying for the installation and maintenance of ev charging is another question well i think if you want to have any success with getting the vote over the line unless you've got a majority of people wanting to create a system well, if you've got a single owners seeking it, they'll need to want to contribute to the installation and the repair costs yeah. because they're not contributing to everybody else's petrol costs. It makes perfect sense. I mean, but again, one of the other things, erroneous pieces of information giving out is that the owners corporation can't sell its electricity to individual owners, um, which is not true. It can't. Um, right. If they've got spare capacity, they can sell it. And they should to enter into utility agreements with owners. Right, yes. Okay, that was the first half of the webinar. Next week, I'm going to present the second half where we get into the whole question of the Strata Hub and the information that we will be required to present to that and whether that's going to drive some people 
out of the committee roles in strata schemes. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Wrap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week. Thank you.